O Lord, open our eyes to see what is beautiful, our minds to know what is true, and our hearts to love what is good. Amen. Well, how should we celebrate Palm Sunday? Instinctively, I feel that it ought to be a celebration. God's King is coming to the city, to the holy city, to reclaim the temple as our Old Testament reading promised he would. The crowds welcomed him with shouts of praise. They waved branches in the air and they laid their cloaks on the ground uh, to, uh, to, um, so that people could, so that the, Jesus could walk over them with his horse, with his colt. And they were calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, but we know that in less than a week, another crowd will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But on Palm Sunday, the disciples would have been elated. They'd been following Jesus for three years, and now they see that everybody wants to welcome him. Everybody is doing what they want to do to proclaim him king. The ordinary people supported him. The crowds were delighted that Jesus had come to the Passover feast. And Jesus' disciples were following him. Yes, they knew that uh, his life was in danger. The uh, priests were plotting to kill him. And uh, for the last six months, Jesus had been telling his disciples that suffering well, uh, waited for him, that he was going to die. He was warning them as well that they should take up their cross and follow him. And despite that, we don't see in the Gospels that the disciples really understood. They still didn't understand what was happening. But on Palm Sunday, they were caught up in the celebration. They were traveling up to Jerusalem. They were in a procession with hundreds of people traveling up from, from Jericho. And one of the people in the crowd, blind Bartimaeus, wasn't blind anymore because that morning Jesus had, had healed his sight. And he decided, I'm, I've not been able to go to Jerusalem before, but by golly, I'm going to go this year and I'm going to go with Jesus. And as they came, uh, drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the excitement would grow. They'd, they'd done their hard walking up the, steep, uh, up the steep path and they were coming towards Jerusalem. And as they rounded the hill from Bethany, they would see Jerusalem, white stones looking golden in the afternoon sunshine. It would be an amazing sight. And the, the crowd would be singing psalms, um, special psalms for, for uh, Passover. 
and uh, they would be <clears throat> and the city was already uh, they were they were they were arriving later and the the city was already filled up with pilgrims uh, come for passover and many of them uh, when they heard that jesus was coming they came out to greet him so you had a crowd coming with jesus and a crowd streaming out of the city all shouting hosanna to the son of david you've got this uh, two crowds and they were carrying palm branches and um, they were uh, laying down their clothes in the road now we don't know if jesus had made a previous arrangement about this cult this uh, cult of a of a mule of a donkey or whether he had supernatural knowledge about it jesus did many miracles but we don't need to look for miracles in every event certainly we know that he sent two disciples to go and bring the donkey it wasn't i keep saying donkey it was a, a cult of a donkey and uh, jesus sent them and jesus was going to ride on this colt to go into jerusalem and i understand that uh, the greek word means uh, the uh, uh, what we would call a mule uh, the the uh, breeding of a donkey and a horse and you get this quite an elegant animal with upstanding ears and it's uh, we, uh, we I've always called them mules before but it's called in the in the Bible translation it's called a colt and when when I lived on a cattle ranch for five years in South America I sometimes rode on a mule and the the uh, the advantage of riding on a mule is that it walks very quickly and it's a nice smooth ride and if you're going on a horse at that speed it's uh, jolting it's a trotting movement and and you would after a long time you'd be worn out so the, the but the cowboys didn't like riding mules even though they were more comfortable and the reason for that was that uh, when they were herding cattle a mule was not really easily manageable uh, you couldn't make it stop quickly and you couldn't uh, make it go fast quickly and uh, you, you couldn't turn it quickly and all of those things were necessary for uh, herding cattle and it was the same if you were riding a horse uh, for uh, for battle you needed something that was responsive and powerful and strong not something that was comfortable to ride now so jesus was not riding a horse he was riding um he was riding a mule the colt of a donkey and if there's a miracle here it isn't that the colt uh, jesus knew about the colt beforehand it's a miracle that a, a, a donkey a, a, a mule would ride through a crowd a crowd of people shouting waving branches and putting things down on the ground so that it couldn't see where it was stepping that's a miracle 
the cult cooperated with Jesus and, with, and fulfilled Jesus' plan. Jesus would have known the prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus deliberately uh, chose that way to arrive in the city. He didn't ride because he was tired. He was a strong, active young man, used to walking, used to the outdoor life. Choosing to ride in on a donkey's colt was a deliberate choice to make a statement. For three years, Jesus has been very careful not to claim to be the Messiah. He's, he's, he's gone around it. He's not done it. But now, on Palm Sunday, he makes a very clear declaration. Jesus came to Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus came to Jerusalem as their king. A king coming to fight or to lead an army would have ridden a strong, responsive war horse. Jesus came as a king of peace to rescue his people. Jesus and his disciples and the crowd from Galilee were coming up to celebrate the feast of Passover. And this feast remembered God stepping in to history to rescue his people from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, about 1,250 years before the birth of Jesus. Moses had given God's word to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. Let them go and worship the Lord our God in the wilderness. And Pharaoh would not agree to it. He agreed sometimes and then changed his mind. There was an epic struggle between the power of the Lord our God and the power of Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt and the Nile until finally Pharaoh agreed to let them go. The people of Israel did not need to fight to leave Egypt. It was a gift. They were delivered by the power of the Lord our God. Moses led the people of Israel out across the Red Sea <clears throat> to the mountain where they were given the law of God. And often, I think when we're reading Exodus, we come to chapter 20 and we think, this is it. God has given them the law. But actually, the climax of Exodus is not the giving of the law. The climax of Exodus is the building of the tabernacle, the place where people would come together uh, to worship God. And the, uh, the, the tabernacle was where heaven and earth would meet, God's space and man's space coming together. And that was what God had always wanted. Why did Jesus choose the Passover festival to work out his plan of salvation? He could have chosen 
the Day of Atonement, but he didn't. He chose the Passover festival. The temple in Jerusalem was no longer serving the purpose that it was intended to serve. It was no longer the place <clears throat> where heaven and earth meet. It was no longer the place where people could come to meet with God. In his preaching and teaching, Jesus had presented himself as the real place to come if you want to meet with God. Where should you meet with God? Come to Jesus. If, Jesus, if Jesus, in Jesus people find the truth about what God is like, they find healing, they find forgiveness, and a renewed vocation to serve as citizens of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus announced the coming of God's kingdom, he was proclaiming that the Lord our God was at last going to keep the promise that was given in our Old Testament reading. By coming to Jerusalem, Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy that God would return to his temple. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news to Zion. Your God reigns, for they see the return of the Lord to Zion. And when Jesus drove out the traders from the temple, it wasn't just to denounce corruption or commercialism. He was showing that the temple was no longer serving the purpose for which it was built. Israel's God had returned to his people as he had promised. But the sad thing is, as St. John tells us, he came to his own, but his own received him not. A temple was a beautiful building, but it was like a, a, a fig tree with no figs on it, just leaves, luscious and green, but no figs. Well, like Moses, Jesus had come to confront and defeat the dark powers that hold people captive. Just as Pharaoh in the first exodus, this would inevitably lead to a clash. There was going to be a battle. And all through his ministry, since his baptism, Jesus had been waging a running war against Satan. Jesus was the strong man who had tied up the enemy and was taking, setting his captives free casting out evil spirits, setting them free from all that bound them. And Jesus was not announcing a new theory or a religion. He came to bring about a change, something definitely new, to ransom his people and to lead them out from slavery to sin. At the first Passover, Yahweh, the Lord, Israel's God, overcame the power of Satan and the gods of Egypt and opened the Red Sea so that his people could pass in safety 
to worship God and to enjoy uh, the promised land under God's rule. But how would Jesus' victory be won? What had he to do? What had to happen for the dark powers to be defeated? What was needed was a new rescue, a new exodus. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because the Romans authorities and the corrupt Jewish leadership and the dark forces of evil that stood behind them, giving them power, they wanted to hang on to power. They saw Jesus as a threat. They wanted to get rid of Jesus, God's saviour, to stop God's plan of salvation. But Satan did not know that the death of the innocent one, going willingly to die on behalf of the people, would break the power of sin and death. St. Paul says in one of his letters, um, if they had known what would happen when they crucified Jesus, they would not have done it. Jesus' death would overthrow all the dark powers that had kept not only Israel, but the whole human race in captivity. By his death on the cross, in our place, Jesus delivered us from the power of sin and death and set us free to live in relationship with God and in obedience to him. In this story, in the story of Jesus' ministry, the goodness and power of God had already been displayed close up and dramatically in what Jesus had already done in his healing and teaching. On the cross, Jesus won the, a decisive victory. It didn't look like it at the time. It looked like he was defeated. He won a decisive victory through which not just Israel, but the whole world can be liberated, ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. And at the center of this whole picture from the Gospels, we don't find a, a, a vengeful, wrathful God demanding that someone's going to be punished, demanding blood, demanding a death. That's not God asking for that. No, we find the image of the covenant-keeping God himself who takes away the full force of sin upon himself. Self-sacrifice, self-offering. Believing, as we do, is not just a matter of words alone. It's no use to call Jesus Lord, Lord, unless we actually listen to his words and walk in his way. It's just empty words if we, if we do that. 
as Jesus warned. When Jesus taught his disciples, if you love me, you will keep on my commandments. It was in this context of his loving presence with us. He says, if you love me and keep my commandments, I will come to you. I will send my spirit to you. I and the Father will come and eat with you. Sup with you, I think is the word. Jesus is not looking for some kind of rules-based perfection. Keep these rules and you will be all right. But if you don't, you'll get it. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a relationship. That, that, the the rules-based thing was what the Pharisees wanted. Jesus wants a love relationship with things. His commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian life is a life to live. It's not just something to believe. And as we live and worship, we show what we really believe. Shall we just have a moment of quiet and I'll say a prayer. Father God, we have the joy, may we have the joy of those who traveled up to Jerusalem with Jesus. May we know your living presence with us. May we see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, day by day. Amen.